0: All right. well we are between sermon series right now and so um, as I was seeking direction for the message today, uh, I felt directed to what is inarguably the most famous verse in the Bible, uh, John 3.16. You've heard of it, right? Okay. Uh, Hopefully all Christians know John 3.16. If you're a Christian and you don't know John 3.16, I would encourage you to try a little harder than you are. Uh, uh, Many people who aren't Christians know John 3.16. It shows up in a lot of places. It shows up in athletic events a lot. You know, you'll see uh, football players put John 3.16 on their uh, eye black uh, when they're playing. Sometimes you'll see a sign in the stands at various uh, sporting events with John 3.16 on it. Uh, It is the most famous verse in the Bible, and it communicates profound truth about God's love. And I'm hopeful that... If you're someone that's super familiar with John 3.16, maybe you're a long-term Christian, you've heard it preached dozens, maybe maybe even hundreds of times, uh, I hope that you'll still be attentive and receptive today uh, because I think that God has directed me to this text for this day, and I think he has something to say to all of us once again through this very familiar verse. So here it is, John 3.16. For God so loved The world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Powerful, truth-packed, encouraging, life-giving verse of the Bible. For God so loved the world. It is this phrase, the world, that I want to focus on Uh, during most of our time together this morning. This word world, which is cosmos in the original language, is really rich with meaning. Uh, Theologians parse out the various meanings of cosmos in order to determine the most accurate understanding of Jesus' statement here in John 3.16. And what I want to share with you today are the three meanings of the word world, cosmos, that are most widely affirmed and that taken together, I believe, help us to fully grasp what is being said in these beautiful words of Jesus. I want to share what it means that God loves the world. And so here's the first thing that it means, and I think this is really timely uh, for what's going on in our nation at present. What it means that God loves the world is that God loves all people without distinction God loves all people without Amen. distinction he loves all nations he loves people from all cultures every tribe every language every race God loves all people every people group on earth there's not one of them that falls outside of God's love God loves them all God loves the Chinese people and the Japanese people. God loves the Arab people. He loves the Jewish people. He loves the Nordic people. He loves Indians. He loves Africans. God loves everybody in South America and North America. He loves every tribe living in the Amazon. He loves every group, every people group in the largest cities in the most remote regions of Africa. God loves the Russian people. He loves the Iranian people. He loves the Afghans. God loves the North Koreans. God loves every race, every nation, every culture, every group of people on planet earth. God loves them all, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves everybody. And the implication of our Savior, King, and Lord loving all people without distinction is that we, his followers, are to love all people without distinction. Racism, prejudice, hatred toward any group has no place in the heart and the mind of a Christian. Racism, prejudice, and hatred toward any group of people is antithetical to the gospel to Christianity, and to Christ. Christians love every people group because God loves every people group. And if you don't love the people that God loves and that Christ died for, you need to seriously examine whether you have ever actually been regenerated or if you're just a person who goes to church because culturally... That's what you've always done. This is a real test as to whether or not the Spirit of God really lives in you as you've really passed from death to life. Test from whether you've truly been regenerated. Do you love all the people that God loves? And over the past several days, the events in Charlottesville have uh, dominated the news. I want to say unequivocally that we here at Vineyard Christian Church condemn white supremacism. uh, (laughs) Easy for me to say. We condemn white supremacism. We condemn the KKK. We condemn all forms of racism. And hopefully, I didn't even need to say that for you to know that that is true of us. I'll tell you something else that I think we need to condemn as Christians. We need to condemn all forms of identity politics that seek to divide us from one another along racial and cultural and gender lines. And I want to give you a little piece of advice here today. I think one of the best things that we could all do for getting along across racial and ethnic and cultural and gender lines is to stop... Watching the news. Stop watching the news. Netflix has all kinds of stuff you can watch that's better than the news. Some of it is, not all, not all of it. You see, I think one of the things that the news media is doing is they're highlighting the remote fringes in our culture and convincing us that those represent Uh, large groups of people when in reality they don't I mean the vast majority of Americans are still figuring out how to get along with each other but we are becoming convinced that these fringe folks represent something larger uh, than what they do here's the thing that's been so unique about America and made her so good not perfect by any means but good Belonging is not conditioned on race or ethnicity or cultural background. At least it's not supposed to be. Just like our money says, e pluribus unum, out of many one, in the United States, the idea is that we are one people because we share ideals and values, not race and ethnicity. We become one people because. We together say we affirm things like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all people. Now, have we always lived up to our ideals and values? Absolutely not. There are huge stains on our nation throughout its history. But that does not change that the ideals and values have provided a beacon of hope for people from all over the world who would flee autocratic and oppressive regimes Flee places where your race and your ethnicity and your social standing determined your place for your entire life, couldn't break out of that, and people have come here where the United States has offered freedom and a chance at self-determination for all who embrace the founding ideals and values. The great American experiment appears to be failing. Uh, Again, at least by what you see on the news, it it appears that it is. We seem to be getting divided into identity groups, fracturing. We're starting to have fairly respectable people openly talk about us being in the early stages of what they describe as a nonviolent, although it's starting to get violent, a nonviolent civil war. But we, the people of God... In the midst of all of the turmoil, the upheaval, and the invective, we need to be people who love all groups of people without distinction. And while e pluribus unum may be failing, there is still a way that people from all nations and races and ethnicities become one people. And here it is, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying here? Is he saying that when we come into a relationship with Christ, that we stop being who we are, that we stop being Jews and Gentiles, that we stop being men and women? Of course he's not saying that. He's saying that our identity before Christ Uh, Our racial, ethnic, and gender identities are no longer reasons to hate each other or be divided from each other. Those things that have historically separated people no longer do because in Christ we are one. Those other things all remain true of us, but they no longer divide us because we all take on a new and a superior identity, that of being in Christ. And so Jew and Gentile, the most significant ethnic division in the history of the world, become one in Christ. And they do so because their identity in Christ supersedes their Jewish identity and their Gentile identity. Men and women, black and white, economically advantaged and economically disadvantaged, we are all one in Jesus. That's our new identity. That's the identity that supersedes everything else about us and unites us as one people at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so God loves all people without distinction. That's part of what it means that God loves the world. And so for the true follower of Christ, there can be no hate for any people group there can only be love, love for all people groups because God loves all people groups. Here's the second meaning of the word world in John 3:16. Not only does God love every people group without distinction, but God loves every person without exception. Every person without exception. There is not a single person that's ever been born and lived on planet Earth that God doesn't love. Every single one without exception. I want you to wrap your mind around that for a minute. I want you to, to think of the implications of that. It doesn't mean that God approves of every single person. It doesn't mean that every single person is going to be saved. But God loves every person single person no exceptions and so depending on your political persuasion you might need to be reminded that God loves Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton depending on your political persuasion and this one might apply no matter your political persuasion you might need to be reminded that God loves Donald Trump God loves all of the pathetic losers that make up the Antifa movement, which is largely a collection of America-hating, God-hating, socialist, communist, and anarchist. God loves the pathetic white supremacist losers who marched in Charlottesville with their ridiculous-looking tiki torches. Every single member of Antifa, every single white supremacist, every lying politician, God loves them all. The Christian in name only who has co-opted the name of Christ while what they're actually doing is trying to undermine everything the Bible says, God loves that person. Your belligerent uncle who makes fun of you for your faith. God loves him. Your antagonistic boss, your gossipy ex-friend. God loves them. They're all fallen. They're all broken. They're all pretty awful people. And yet God loves them every single one. And that is good news for you. And that is good news for me. Because even though we might not be like any of those people I've just named... We are all fallen and broken, and actually, we're pretty awful ourselves, which leads to the next meaning of the word world in John three sixteen. God loves all people without distinction. He loves every person without exception, and God loves a world full of sinners who are undeserving of his love. The third option for the meaning of the of uh, world is that it refers to the quality of God's love. And B.B. Uh, Warfield uh, espoused this view, and here's what he wrote about it. World is not here a term of extension so much as a term of intensity. Its primary connotation is ethical. And the point of its employment is not to suggest that the world is so big that it takes a great deal of love to embrace it all, but that the world is so bad It takes a great kind of love to love it at all. And much more to love it as God has loved it when he gave his son for it. And so this word world doesn't just define the scope of God's love. Though we've seen that it does do that. It defines the quality and the intensity of God's love. The entire world has fallen. Every single person on earth is sinful. I'm not going to take time today to go through all of this, but if you, if you do a little research on your own and, and you look into the state of the world in and around the time of Jesus, it was a brutal and barbaric world that Christ came into. And it's not gotten any better. You know, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in human history. And we see today barbarism happening all over the world. Those are the conditions. That is the world that that God looked at. A world deserving of judgment. The people of the world deserving of death. Unlovable. And yet looking at that world, God loved and loves that world. But here's something that I'm fearful too many people are losing sight of. The Bible's view is that every single one of us in here today, you are just as deserving of judgment as all of those awful people that I've just been referring to. You're as deserving of judgment as the rest of the world. You're deserving of death just like all those folks. But I fear that that's not the message many people are receiving today. I increasingly am concerned that that's not the message churches are sharing today. The message I often feel like I'm hearing today is you are so amazingly awesome. God thinks you are just the bomb. He'll be so honored if he can get cute, adorable you to follow him that he will be tickled pink. But let me break it to you. That is not true of you. And it's not true of me. We're not adorable. We dethrone God. We ignore God. We openly disobey God. We don't treat people around us all that well. We kind of nurse and care real carefully for bitterness and anger that we have in our hearts if we're any better than all of the awful people that I've named throughout this message it is only by degree and it is not enough to deserve God's love what makes God's love so amazing is how undeserving we are but if you never understand how undeserving you are because your mom and your dad and your teachers and your pastors have always told you that God would be lucky to have you, then you'll never properly appreciate and marvel at God's love. We have to be willing to see ourselves as we really are, sinners undeserving of God's grace, and it's only when we understand that that we can begin to appreciate how great God's love really is. And so if you take these three things together, God loves all people without distinction. He loves every person without exception. And he loves a world full of sinners who are undeserving of his love. Then you'll have a pretty full, a pretty complete, a pretty accurate understanding of what it means when John 3, 16 says, for God so loved The world. How much does God love all peoples without distinction, every person without exception, in a world full of sinners undeserving of his love? How much? So much so that he gave his son. He gave his son. He gave his son to take on human flesh, to be born of a woman. To live 33 and a half years of sinless life on earth. To reveal to us the way to God. The way to heaven. The way to eternal life. And of course the way that he revealed was himself. You see God didn't just send Jesus to be a great moral teacher. That we can glean some wisdom from. He did not just send Jesus to model kindness to the other. He gave him. For a very specific purpose. To die for the sins of the whole world. To be our substitute. To stand in our place. To take our penalty to receive the wages that we had earned for ourselves. Death. It's an amazing thing. I've reminded reminded us uh, a few times over the years that if you really allow yourself to think of what it means for God to give his son in this way it is truly remarkable I love all of you but you hurt one of my kids like we're in trouble we're gonna have a problem I'm not letting my kids get hurt for any of you people I'm just not I love you but I'm not letting my kids get hurt because of you and if you think about it this way it really begins to sink into you how great God's love for us is that he would allow his son to die in our place. It's incredible love. Jesus died for every nation, every tribe, every culture, every language, every race, every group of people in the world. And because he did, followers of Jesus had better love every nation, tribe, culture, language, and race without distinction. Jesus died for every single person in the world without exception. And since he did that, there should not be anyone that you're unwilling to expand the borders of your love to include. And Jesus died for undeserving people. And so surely we, his followers, can love people who are undeserving. He loves all the people of the world without distinction. Loves every person without exception. That includes you. And he loves a world full of people undeserving of his love. That includes you too. He loves us so much that he gave his son To die for us. And he did that. To achieve a very specific outcome. That whoever believes in him. Shall not perish. But have eternal life. Christ died for the world. Christ died so people deserving of eternal death. Would not have to be eternally dead. But here's the truth. A person has to respond to Christ. A person has to receive Christ's offer in order to benefit from it. You you have to receive him. You you have to respond to him. John 3.16 tells us that we do that by believing in him. Placing our faith and our trust in him. And millions and millions of people have done that. Every people group is going to be represented in heaven. Think about what that's going to look like. How can there be hatred in our hearts toward people that we are going to spend eternity with, gathered around the throne of Christ, worshiping in one voice? Every people group will be in heaven, every person will not be in heaven because everyone won't humble themselves to receive Christ. But his salvation remains available to whoever will respond. And heaven's going to be populated by a lot of undeserving people. In fact, it's going to be populated only by undeserving people. So what about you? The main emphasis of my message today has been an appeal for us to love all people like God loves all people. But this passage this verse has huge implications for our lives beyond that appeal this passage tells you clearly how you undeserving as you are can avoid the wages that your sins have earned for you and can instead receive eternal life it's by believing in Jesus recognizing him as your only hope of salvation acknowledging his sacrifice on the cross on your behalf. is by believing in him, believing in his work on the cross, not in an, oh, I think that might be true sort of way, but believing in him to the point where you decide to trust your life to him, where you get to the point where you ask him to be your savior and your Lord, you, you give your whole life to him. Scripture assures us that those of us who come to him, he will not turn us away. If you come to him in faith, no matter how undeserving you are, he'll receive you and he'll give you eternal life. Here's how Romans 10 guides us. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's stand.